The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at one verse this morning, verse 28, which happens to deal with work. And uh, I don't usually show a lot of video intros, but I thought that kind of helps us connect the dots a little bit with how our work is connected with the gospel and, and, and really ultimately the worship of God. Uh, you know, I, I want to read this passage for you, this one verse, and then I just want, I, I want God to just connect the gospel to what we do all the time, every, every week. I was thinking as we were worshiping together, you know, we come week after week and we just, we kind of go through this routine and it can become a routine of worship, but this is not a wasted time, just like you going to work every single week can sometimes feel wasted. It can get mundane and tired and, and you just kind of get frustrated with it, but it is not wasted. It is not something that is just this add-on that you have to endure, but instead God means so much more for it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, some have commented that I've kind of slowed down in Ephesians, and I'm taking virtually one verse at a time. Last week we looked at two, and we're dealing with these issues. And this is intentional, and I think this is really kind of the way Paul wanted this to be handled. When he wrote this to the Ephesian believers, he had unpacked this big doctrinal section in the first three chapters of, of this letter to them. And then in chapter four, he, he unpacks this concept of the gospel changes the way you live. You no longer are to get dressed out of the same wardrobe that you used to get dressed out of. You're to put off the old man and to go to the new wardrobe of the new self and get dressed from there. And then he, out of that, he began to deal with these particular issues like speaking truth to one another and anger and today, work. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you how work can actually be worship, how it's connected to the gospel. What I don't want you to walk away with today is thinking that, that this can be achieved outside of the gospel that this is just some moral principle or some lesson, some ethical instruction for you today that you should not steal and you should go to work and, and be generous with those in need. Because those commands, well and good as they are, will be, you, you'll be powerless to achieve them and to obey them outside of the gospel. That all of what God commands us to do is grounded and rooted in the good news of the saving grace of God. You know, I, I, the song we sang just a minute ago, that, that little phrase in there, that, that chorus, I guess it is, grace paid for my sin and brought me to life, and grace clothes me with power and, and to do what is right. And, and that's the two sides of the gospel. The gospel is not merely the point where we come to God. The gospel is what we need every single day from there on out to be clothed with power and to do what is right, to do what he's calling us to. So in that, knowing that this comes out of the gospel, there are three specific points or commands that come out of this, this one verse today. The first is this, don't steal any longer. Verse 28 opens up and it says, let the thief no longer steal. And, and the point here is that stealing no longer befits the believer. Stealing is no longer suitable for the Christ follower. The, the church in Ephesus was apparently reaching thieves. And this is not a, not a bad thing. It's, 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 uh, it's not surprising. It's not a bad thing that they are reaching thieves from this society. This is a good thing, uh, that, that the gospel is reaching into some pretty dark places. In that day and age, let me just help you understand here, uh, a, a good portion of the society were day laborers. There weren't a whole lot of career paths. Uh, you could be a soldier, you could be different things, but there weren't a whole lot of people that had this, this career that they went to and, and left every day knowing that they were going to go back into that career every day. Most of the society were simply day laborers, meaning that they picked up work every single day, not knowing what tomorrow might hold. 
And so if their work was seasonal or if no one hired them for that day, they lived in a a system where uh, there was no welfare for them. There was nothing that they could fall back on. There was no unemployment. There was no government assistance for them. And many then, if there was no work for them, and since there was no help, they would be forced to steal to take what they needed so that they could provide for themselves and for their families. And this was just accepted. It was, socially accept- uh, it was a socially acceptable practice in that day with one exception. If you were the one whose stuff got stolen, I would venture to say you might have an issue with it. But by and large, everyone looked at this and understood this was just the way it was. These new Christians that are being reached with the gospel in Ephesus were apparently, though, having trouble shedding the old clothes of stealing. Instead, they were, they were kind of putting these things still on, and, and some, of the, some of them were still taking things that did not belong to them, even though they had come to believe the gospel and were now members in this church. Literally, the Bible here says, the one who is stealing should steal no more. Paul is giving instruction to them, which you and I look at and we think, it's pretty basic. I mean, most people know not to steal, right? But apparently, this was so ingrained not only in the culture, but also in the culprit that they needed specific instruction to tell them, hey, don't steal any longer, and this is a, you can tell this is a brand new church where new people are being reached and they're really baby Christians to need such a, uh, a, a base bit of instruction here to stop stealing. Well, the question that I would pose to you today, or one of the questions is, is stealing any less pervasive in our culture today than it was in theirs? And I don't think so. I think maybe it takes different forms, but I think stealing is just every bit as much a a relevant issue that we struggle with, that our society, people struggle with today than it ever was. And let me just give you some examples. People borrow a Netflix password, right? Now, I'm stepping on a lot of toes right here. I saw some people kind of grimace and kind of sink in their chair a little bit, and and I don't, it's not my intention to step on toes. I do want to point out, though, just how pervasive this is. Music and, and videos are pirated all the time. In 2016, uh, the loss of inventory from retail stores due to causes like shoplifting and employee theft cost the U.S. retail industry nearly $48.9 billion with a B. $48.9 billion in, in 2016 from shoplifting. Um, as much as 60% of that came from employee theft. We, we think oftentimes that shoplifting is those that are coming in who are coming in from outside and they're taking things with them. But a lot of times it's the employee who's there to work and to guard the company product. Instead, they are lifting these things and taking them home and, and, uh, and doing what they will. As much as a third of the retail cost that you and I pay for a particular item goes to cover these losses. I mean, think about that. If if stealing were eradicated, if the gospel was proclaimed and and God just poured out his spirit and there was this, this mass coming to Jesus and people were to hear the instructions of the Bible and to follow him out of the gospel, then think of what it would do for even our economy. Uh, Those prices on the common goods that you and I have, you know, we like to think maybe they would go down, but probably greed at that point would set in, and the retailers would never let the, the costs go down, right? Corporate scandals are, are so common now that they, they bore us. They're so commonplace that we don't really even pay them attention. The government taxes us on the assumption that we're going to hide resources, that we're going to be false on, on what we turn in that we made in that year. And so they make up for this in the way that they tax us. Let me get real personal again. How much personal time at work is used to pursue uh, personal interests when it should be on company time? How much time is spent searching Amazon or playing solitaire or whatever the case may be? When does stealing become wrong? 
Sadly, for a lot of people, stealing is perfectly okay. It's perfectly acceptable, just as it was in the Ephesian culture of that day. In this day, in 2018, it is just as acceptable until I get caught. And it's when I get caught that it becomes wrong, or when the person gets caught that it becomes wrong. We see this even right now. I mean, look at NCAA basketball and how many coaches are in trouble for breaking the rules and, and news yesterday of a player being offered or being paid $100,000 to sign with this particular school and a coach is, is out the door. And this has perhaps been going on in that program and in many, many more programs for a long time, and a lot of people knew it, but now it is coming out and suddenly it has become wrong. Another question I would ask of, of you today is, is all of this stealing being done, being, being committed, only by unbelievers? No. I mean, sadly, no. Sadly, it's, it's not only lost people outside of Christ that are the ones who are stealing, but it's the ones who say, I'm a Christ follower. I love him with all my heart. I want to I go where he tells me to go. But we too, oftentimes, sadly, are guilty of theft. And this is Paul's point. As he comes to these Christians, he writes to them and he says, those of you who are currently stealing, steal no longer. Stop it. And we look at this and we say, that's basic instruction, but maybe it's not as basic as you think when you begin to think about every facet of your life. Sadly, many Christians see nothing wrong with many of the things that I described earlier. And I would pose to you that to, to continue to steal as a Christ follower is to get dressed out of the old closet. It's, it's going back to verse 22 where it said, Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's to ignore that passage and it's to say, I don't want to put off the old man. I want to go back to that old man and I want to continue to get dressed there because I kind of like stealing. I would, I would submit to you that Satan wants you to steal. And I think this is seen in verse 22 through those two words there that are used. When, when Paul employs the words deceitful desires, he points to a couple of different facets there, which we've talked about, but I want to bring them up again. Satan wants you to steal. Remember the tactic that he used against Jesus. When Jesus was led away into the wilderness to be tempted, the Bible tells us, by the Spirit. And it's part of, it's part of uh, what God is doing there to, 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 to prepare Jesus and to set the stage. And Jesus is, he's, well, let me just read it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, one of the greatest understatements in all of the Bible, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, if we're, not, if we're not paying attention, we'll miss what Satan is doing there. Satan in that moment is looking at Jesus, knowing who he is. He's not really in doubt about whether Jesus really is the Son of God. He knows this. But what he's trying to do is to, is to cast a shadow of a doubt on the character and the love and the care of the Father. And he says to Jesus, if you're really his son, what are you doing out here hungry? I mean, what father treats their son this way? Are you sure he's still there? Are you sure he really cares for you? You know what? You shouldn't trust him any longer. You should just take what you need. And Satan in this moment is coming to Jesus and saying, don't trust God, take it. Don't wait on God, steal it. You have the power to do this. Do it. And this is the original here temptation with Jesus to cause him to steal. And I would say to you that, by the way, the rest of that tells us that Jesus doesn't fall for, for Satan's tactics. Instead, Jesus said to him that man's not going to live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he resists by turning into the word of God and relying on the spirit of God. But, but I would say to you that, that Satan comes and he whispers the same things to us today when tempting us to steal. He wants us to take what is not ours. And this is rooted in not wanting us to trust God our Father to be our provider. 
Satan whispers things to us through a host of demons like this. Why should you trust God to provide for you? Does he really even know what you need? Are you sure that he has your best interest at heart? Does he even care? Maybe he's forgotten about you. You don't have to really trust the means that he gives you to provide for what you need, meaning work. You don't have to work for things. Step on people and take what you need. And I think this is what Satan continues over and over and over again to whisper to us because he would like for us to steal. Uh, Brian Chappell, in his commentary on Ephesians, uh, wrote this, that studies tell us that more and more middle-class young men are less inclined to work in positions of responsibility because uh, undemanding jobs can provide them all that they want, an apartment, a fast car, a flat-screen TV, and a willing partner. Now, that characterizes a lot of young men, and I'm thankful for young men here that don't fit into that stereotype. I'm thankful for driven young men who are driven by the gospel. I'm looking out at young men across this room, and I look at you and I say, man, lean into the gospel. Be driven to succeed in life, but ultimately that your life might count for the glory of God. But I think there's this message that's coming over and over again from an enemy to young men and, and, and our young people in general. Who needs to trust God? Don't wait on God. Just take what you want. Live for the moment right now. Go get it. Satan wants you to steal. I think Satan also seeks to capitalize on the lingering sinful desires in our hearts. He whispers these things to us, but he does so in such a way that he says, I know you have these desires. And this is what what he said there in verse 22, these deceitful desires. The deceit side of things comes from Satan himself, but the desire is what is within us. No one can say when he is tempted that he was tempted by God or that the devil made him do it, but instead it's what's in us. It's It's this heart for self and for pride that often leads us. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. James 1, 14 and 15 comes to mind. That each, each, each one is, is uh, tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. See, what what Satan does is he comes to us and he knows, he's he's observant, and he watches, and he sees these desires that we chase and we pursue, and he wants to capitalize on those. And he tries to deceive us at those points. To which I would say to you today that believers must refuse to get dressed out of the old closet. And the way you do that, one way you do that is by refusing to steal, to trust God. Refuse to take what is not yours. Refuse to get ahead of him. Choose instead to take the position of Jesus that says, man shall not live by bread alone, or accolades alone, or money alone, or fill in the blank alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I would also say a word about this issue of of thievery. How's that for a word, thievery. See if you can use that today in a sentence uh, at the restaurant or somewhere, thievery. Um, Just because you were a thief or just because you even are now a thief doesn't mean that you will always be a thief. Two things about this is, number one, stealing is not a sin that can't be forgiven. Stealing can be forgiven. We learn this by looking at the example of the thief on the cross. Do you remember the, the account there? Jesus hanging on the cross, and these two thieves, the Bible tells us, are hanging on either side of them, and one is railing at him and saying, you know, joining in with the crowd, you know, why don't you save yourself? And the other thief is convicted, and God grants repentance in that moment, and he says to the other thief, don't you know, we deserve to be here, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. 
And he turns, and this thief, in his, in his last moments on earth, he turns and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus, the sweetest words, says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's nothing that God says that can't be forgiven. Stealing is not one of those things. I don't, care, I don't care what your history is. Sometimes people have surprised me. I've been in ministry now for, for 24 years in vocational ministry. And I've served in churches in Kentucky and Georgia and South Carolina and Alabama. And, and, and sometimes people will come to me and I'll think, they'll, they'll tell me something. And, and I like to think that no one could tell me anything anymore that would shock me. But I'll just tell you, in my humanity, sometimes I get shocked. It doesn't mean that I'm going, huh. You are the worst person I've ever encountered in 24 years of ministry. But I once, I once had a man come to me, and, and he was one of my volunteers with a student ministry I was leading at the time. And a great man, um, and uh, I mean, he was, he was a nut, and the kids loved him, and he was just, he loved Jesus. But he confided in me one day that when he was 18 or 19 years old, right out of high school, he was desperate, and he took a gun and he robbed a bank. I would never have thought about this with this guy. I would have thought he would have done a lot of stupid stuff in his life because that's just who he was. But he had robbed a bank. And in, in his telling of that, I mean, like four or five decades later, he's broken over his sin, but he's confident that he's forgiven in the gospel. It's why he loves Jesus as much as he does. There is nothing that you could do that God cannot forgive in the grace of the gospel. You hear me? As Billy Graham stood for 60 years or more and said, God loves you. Billy Graham's attempt in that was to say, he doesn't love what you're doing, but he loves you enough that he sent his own son to die in your place so that you could be forgiven. Can I just say something to you as your pastor? Abner Creek needs to be a place where thieves and murderers and liars and slanderers and addicts receive forgiveness. Where the gospel is so central and so powerful that there is not anyone who is outside of our fellowship at this point that feels like they are so far gone that they cannot be made right with God. The gospel must be on our lips and in our hearts and shown through our lives even in the way that we work. Not only can can stealing be forgiven, but stealing can be overcome. Perhaps it's so ingrained in you like these early believers in the Ephesian church that you think, you know, it's just part of who I am. It's ingrained in the culture, but it's also ingrained in this culprit. And you think, I don't know that I can stop this. This is going to be hard for me to do. Maybe you have robbed from your employer for a long time, and you don't really know how to function outside of this. It can be overcome, and the way it is overcome is by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason I read that to you is because the first part there, verse 5a, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The way that you can obey that command is by believing 5b through 6, that he will never leave you. He's promised me that. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's my helper. Why do I fear? I don't have to fear. What can man do to me? If I don't get this thing that I really, 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 really want, what does it matter? Because God is my very present help in times of trouble, right? So the way that we overcome this is a daily struggle to believe what God has indeed promised. So the first part is don't steal anymore. That's the first command is don't steal any longer. And that was a big one. The second one is this. Get ready, you got to write a lot on this one. Work. Work. I want to be sensitive here. Because there are, uh, 
there are people here perhaps today that, that can't work for various reasons. Maybe there are medical disabilities that keep you from, from seeking work. There are retired people in the room, and so maybe, maybe you might be tempted to check out here and say, work, work's in the rear view. I don't work any longer. I'm done with that. But God says to all of us, work. The longer I'm on this planet, the more I realize that work is a blessing from God. I mean, let me show you this. In verse 28, he says, let the, let the one who steals no longer steal. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. A lot of, a lot of times Christians like to look at work and, and think, well, if work is just a result of the fall. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't have work, which is a big lie. It's a big misunderstanding, and, and I'll prove it to you. We get this impression that, that work is, is a result of the fall because we sometimes go to work, and work is frustrating. It's exhausting. It's sometimes seemingly pointless. It's tedious at times, or it's boring, right? And so sometimes we just get so ah that we think, man, can't wait to go to heaven where work will be over with. One of the verses I've heard over and over again since Billy Graham passed away is that it speaks of things, Revelation, it speaks of, of resting from our labors. And, uh, and I think it's a beautiful verse. I don't think it's necessarily talking about this type of work. I think it's the type of work that Paul talked about where he said, not that I've already achieved, but instead I, I, I forget about those things that are beyond, behind me and I press on. Right? It's, it's, it's striving to be made like Christ. It's striving to please Him. Um, but we get the impression that, that, that the only reason we have work is because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and sin came into the world and now we have work. But, but work is only ever those things, frustrating, exhausting, pointless, tedious, and boring, because of sin. See, sin produces the, the, the hardness of work, but it did not produce work itself. God put work in paradise. Genesis 1.28, in the Garden of Eden. God puts Adam and Eve there, and He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And He, he talks about the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and, and all the animals of the land, and He says to them, have dominion over them. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. When Adam is there in the garden and he's naming all of the animals, he, he reaches a point where he becomes sad because he realizes that there, there's not anyone like him, that he has, he has no one that, that's like him. And that's when God said, you know, it's not good that he be alone, and he, he puts Adam to sleep, and he takes a rib from Adam's side, and he forms Eve, and he gives him Eve, and he gives him Eve to be a helper in this work in the garden. Now, here's the question I would have to you. Genesis 1 and 2, work is there. Is that before or after sin entered the world? It's before, right? Sin doesn't come into the picture until Genesis 3. All of that was given to Adam and Eve to, to have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, work and tend the garden, help one another in this work before sin ever comes into the world. In Genesis chapter 3, sin makes work hard. If you remember what, what God says to Adam, and he comes and he, he comes into the, to the garden, after they have sinned, they've chosen to eat from the tree that God told them not to, and, he, and he, they're hiding now. They're, they, they're naked, and they realize they're naked, and they've, they've tried to put together some type of covering for themselves, and they're hiding in the bushes, and, and God calls out to him, gives Adam an opportunity to kind of come out and out himself, God says, who told you you were naked? And God confronts them in the sinful choice, their rebellion that they've made. And God begins to then delve out this punishment. And he gives this punishment out to, to the serpent, right? He's going to crawl on his belly and eat the dust of the ground, all this stuff. And then he turns to Adam and he says to Adam, from now on, you will work this ground, but it will be by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles are going to come up from nowhere. Had been, you imagine a world where there were no thorns, thistles, or weeds of any kind. Uh, Benny was out mowing yesterday, and, and I was talking to him this morning, and the only thing he's out there cutting is, is, uh, is basically weeds at this point, you know? Uh, I mean, you imagine that world? 
See, work was not hard until sin came into the world. Work is not the curse. The the hardness of it now is realized because of sin. See, work is still the means God has ordained for getting what we need. We don't get to throw away work and steal now. We don't get to say, well, you know, I just don't want to work at all. I'll just take what I want. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not such per- now, as such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is not referring to someone who does not have the capacity to work, such as someone who has a medical disability. If, if that is you in, in hearing of this sermon today, do not hear unnecessary, unwarranted guilt heaped upon you. Hear me in that. It's not talking about that. Instead, what this is talking about is a person who is perfectly capable of work but is lazy and refuses to work. The person who can work and doesn't, he says, should not eat. I know people who are very willing to work, but they can't. And that's okay. And I'm thankful for a system that cares for them. I'm glad to pay taxes that will help to support those who are really genuinely in need. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that that has a one another ministry here where funds are given to look around and see when people are in need and to help them out. I know people who are very willing to work who can't, but here's the honest truth. I know people who could work and won't. I got a family member right now. He's almost 50 years old. And if he listens to this podcast, I'll have a conversation with him. He's almost 50 years old. He is capable in every way. But he has refused to work. And he has in turn expected everyone else to bail him out of every situation he ever gets himself into. He has made foolish decision after foolish decision. He has, he has spent more time thinking and striving to get out of work than if he'd just go to work he'd be so much better off. And don't hear me up here slamming individuals. I do want to point out to you, though, what the Bible points out. That that a a person who has that attitude, who could work but is unwilling to work, that person, according to 1 Timothy 5.8, says, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this is not just the, the opinion of an angry preacher This is the opinion of God. Christians should be among the hardest, best working people anywhere. The the term, the word labor here in this, when it says go work, be angry, and, and, uh, or sorry, um, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. That word labor is a word that means to the point of exhaustion. You ever ever had a day like that where you just work to the point of exhaustion? Uh, some days you get to the end of those days and you can look at what you've done and you, it's so satisfying. Other days you can't see a whole lot of it and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just tired and don't talk to me. I'm just going to bed. And, it, and maybe you need to listen to last week's sermon about anger, you know. But this is what it's talking about is that Christians ought to be the hardest, best working people anywhere. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So we ought to work hard. Go to work. If you can, go to work. If you are retired, what work might he be calling you to in this moment? Not necessarily going and and punching a clock and earning a living, but maybe you're at a point where you no longer need to have income, but you could go to work for the kingdom of God. There's another little point in here, and I'll share it briefly, but not every work is fitting for a Christ follower. When he says here in in verse 28 that we are to do honest work with our own hands, the the word honest there means good in quality or God-honoring. This means that some jobs or careers are off-limits for a Christian. A job that requires you to compromise God's standards is off-limits. 
for a believer. A job that dishonors him or misrepresents him is off limits. It's not honest, God-honoring work. A job that violates his commands, for instance, a job that requires you to lie or to steal to basic commands, it's off limits for you. A job that misleads or mistreats others is off limits for the believer. Here we are commanded to do honest work, God-honoring work. And so what I would say to you as boldly as I can to you today is if your work requires those things that either it cause you to compromise God's standards, dishonor or misrepresent Him, violate His commands, mislead or mistreat others, if your job requires those things for you, can I say to you, quit your job? Now, I realize that maybe there needs to be some wisdom in how you go about that. But quit your job and find a job that, that honors Him. God calls us to radical obedience sometimes. The third point is this. Not only don't steal anymore, not only work, but third, give to those in need. Give to those in need. These are simple points right out of this verse. verse the last part of verse 28 says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And here is the purpose for our work. Most people assume that work is for themselves. And there is a part of it that, that is. That we go to work to earn a paycheck, to buy the things that we need to support our, ourselves and our family, right? I mean, you know, no, I'm not telling you, hey, give everything you have away. There's part of work that is, is God says, this is how you're going to get what you need for your life. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. And guess how he gets it to you? Through your job. He works through means, through human means, Right? So go to work for yourself. But your, your job is not ultimately about you. Your job ultimately is about being generous to those who are in, in need. We're called to provide for our personal and family needs, but we're, if we're honest, the, the reality is we probably need a whole lot less than we actually have. I mean, we work for bigger and better houses, for vacations, for toys, you know, I used to think, you know, there'd come a point, like I remember that, that age when I went from kind of being a, a kid to kind of going into adolescence and having to give up toys. I didn't realize I didn't have to give up toys. The toys just had to change, right? We have toys now. We're all seeking after these things, and we sometimes labor and work for these things that we don't really need. We even spend money that we don't have yet for, for things that we don't really need, but that we really, really, really want, right? It's called debt. And Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I wonder how many people right now, when your bills come, you feel like you are enslaved. You look at what you have coming in and you look at what has to go out and you think, how will I ever get out from under this? And you have placed yourself into slavery. The world works to get, but Christians should work to give. And this word here, when it, when it says that, um, that we should work so that we may have something to share, that word share is, in the original language is a word that means it's, it's the same word used to describe the communicating of the gospel. That we, have, we work so that we have something to share with others. Same word as we share the gospel with someone. Okay? Don't miss this important point in this. I think that Paul's trying to make. For a former thief to go from a taker to a giver in a society that says, what does it matter? For a former thief to go from a taker to a giver communicates a whole lot more than life change. It communicates a whole lot more than turning over a new leaf. Instead, it communicates a miracle, a miracle that only the gospel could produce. When, when people that you used to run with, and they knew your ethics, and they knew how you were, and they knew how at times you were shady as, as you could be, when, when all of a sudden the gospel produces a change in you that you say, no, 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 I can no longer steal. I want to honor God in all of what I do. Man, it speaks volumes. A person, that old crowd is forced to look into your life and say, man, what happened to you? 
which then gives you the opportunity to not just share with those in need, but to share the gospel, which is the ultimate need. Brian uh, Chapel in his commentary, said, The giving of our gain, rather than taking for our gain, so reflects the nature of Christ that we are actually sharing Christ when we share with others. If you look around, man, our culture is just eaten up with greed. We're just eaten up with self. And for us to become selfless for those who are in need is a beautiful picture. Martin Luther called it becoming Christ to one's neighbor. Let me read this passage to you. I won't share the whole thing, but um, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and following, um, Jesus then tells there about the end when judgment will, will happen. And uh, this is, listen to Jesus' words. He said, Then the king will say to those on, on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. One of the great callings of, of following Christ is to be so open-handed with what he gives us that we are we, we're eager to give to those who are in need. That we see a brother or sister, particularly in the household of faith, that we see them and we say, it's not right that you should be without. And God will meet every single one of your needs. And just as God meets needs my needs through my work, he may also work through the means of my work to meet your needs in this moment. This is not socialism where we're just you know bringing everything to the pot and then we're going to distribute from there this is not forced on anyone this is what the gospel produces by making generous willing hearts that look at brothers and sisters and those in need and say i love you enough to part with my world's goods to help you so here's the application from this one verse today and we're done Here here are the application points. Number one, have you been or are you actively now stealing and do you need to repent? This may be hard. Perhaps it's something small. Perhaps it's simply been, it's simply as if it makes it any better, but perhaps it's, it's been you just kind of goofing off with some time at work and, and you've not really been working for the company or for your boss, but instead you've just sort of been stealing some time there, here and there. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe that will require you going to your boss and confessing that to your boss and then seeking forgiveness and, and then striving to be a better employer from this point forward. Maybe it's harder for you in that at some point in your life, like that man that confessed that to me that day, you committed some, some travesty. And there may be legal ramifications for you, but you know that God's calling you to repent. And that may mean, even years or decades later, confession. It may mean some hard things for you. But God would have you to repent. Are you now actively stealing? Have you in the past? Is there something that you need to repent of? I'd be glad to help you through that. I would love to make myself available to walk with you through that. I don't have all the answers. I don't have a ton of experience there if it gets real legal. But I will help you. I will walk with you through that. The second application point is, those of you who are going to a job every day, have a job, maybe you're retired and, and there's work that God's called you to, have you thanked God for your work by seeking to glorify Him in it? Do you go to work and say, God, today, whatever my hand finds to do, Lord, let it be glorifying to you. 
I want to do it with excellence. I want to work heartily today. Not as I'm working for, for somebody, but Lord, I want to work as if I'm working for you because Lord, I know that if I'm working and pleasing you, then it's going to reflect in, in pleasing my earthly employer. That in itself redeems work and makes it more than just earning a paycheck. Third, is there someone who currently needs to be helped by your generosity? Somebody that God has placed on your heart and you have the means and he's saying to you, give. Let me just point you to a few things that that we're doing here uh, through your generosity here that's already in place to help others. One is, I mentioned it earlier, the one another ministry. It's, it's a way that we give money here. It's not tied to our general budget. It's not part of the general fund. If you're going to give to that, you've got to designate to that. But that is a, 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 a designated fund within our dollars that when someone who is a, a part of this church comes up against hard times, and I'm not talking about that they're just being foolish. I'm talking about they've come up against hard times, and they don't know how they're going to make it. There is an outlet for them to be able to come to the leadership and say, I need help. And the generosity of brothers and sisters then is able to be poured into their life and to help them. If, if it becomes a chronic thing and it's just over and over again and someone just continually can't seem to, to you know, make it or whatever, then we're going to then kind of dive into that with you and seek to help get you maybe some, maybe some financial counseling that you need. Maybe it's, maybe it's even beyond that. Maybe it's something like marriage counseling or something else. Maybe there's a root issue that's causing some things. One another is there to help. A second way that we're, we're kind of seeking to help others, and it's a small thing, but Operation Christmas Child, I just want to mention it here. It's nowhere near Christmas right now, but Operation Christmas Child, these shoe boxes that we send out every single year, we're collecting an item every month. One item is posted in your bulletin. We're collecting those things so that at the end of the year, we will be able to put together all these boxes and send them to children in some part of the world so that they might hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help them in their physical need right there, and to Attach the spiritual need. And the third way is just I would encourage you to give through your tithes and offerings, to be generous. Now, this is what you would expect a pastor to say um, because, you know, if, if you're cynical about talking about money in church, um, you're going to say, I told you, there it is. There's that pastor. He's talking about it again. And, and I talk about this very seldom, okay? But, man, we had a great into the fiscal year uh, in, in 2017. We, we've told you over and over again, we have no product we sell here. We have no revenue stream here that we count on. We count on the generosity of God's people. We had a really good solid end to, to 2017. You know what I've noticed though? 2018, month of January and the month of February is we've been, we've been short. We've been short, and it doesn't mean that we're in trouble. I just want to put this before you and call you to generosity because in that giving, if that doesn't come in, what we think was coming in, we voted and approved, that's your budget. If that doesn't come in, then it doesn't mean ministry stops, but it limits what we can do with ministry. Those dollars that come in, there's percentages that are going out to send missionaries all over the world, North America and internationally, Right? There are ministries locally that we are helping to support. There are ministries that are funded by those dollars like Good News Club and other things where we're going into our community and we're taking the gospel there. So I just want to encourage you, give and be generous. A mark of God's people is generosity. That we would not steal. By the way, Malachi, uh, there when it talks about tithing, and, uh, you know, tithing Old Testament command, not really commanded in the New Testament. I get all that. But they're, they're, they're um, confronted, and the words that are used in there is they were robbing God. And so part of the command for us not to steal is to not hoard things for ourselves, but to be loose with those things and give to the storehouse where God has us, right? So I would just encourage you, a mark of, of God's people is that we would give, that we'd be generous, that we would not steal, that we would work hard to make much of him, and that we would be generous people. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, I trust that you are sovereign over this passage and over this sermon. Lord, I, I, I believe that the Spirit is able to take your word and, Lord, cause it just, Lord, to just sift and sink down into the hearts of the hearers. Lord, would you do the work? Lord, I am powerless, but there is nothing you can't do. So, God, would you take this sermon, Lord, the truth that is from you, God, would you cause it to come home? Lord, would you, would you grant repentance? Would you grant obedience even in hard areas? Lord, would you glorify yourself? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. Perhaps you're here and, and today you heard clearly the gospel. And you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And when I say things like, don't steal, go to work, be generous, those just seem like things that, hey, I could try those things, but I don't have the power to do them. You're right. The gospel is what changes our hearts. And today, if you've heard the gospel for the first time, I would tell you that your sin can be forgiven that your sin can be overcome, that Christ has overcome it in your stead and he will work in you to produce, to clothe you with power to do what is right. But the only way that happens is if you come by faith and trust Christ as your Savior, not coasting on the coattails of, of a mom or a dad or a grandparent, but you personally saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I need you to forgive me. If that's you today, I would love to have a conversation with you. Today, if you're here and maybe a point of application was it just resonated with you and you know what you've got to do, then I just commit this time to go do it. Maybe right now it's prayer. There are people in a prayer room out the doors to my right, to your left. Uh, They would love to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Come and kneel across these steps if you need, need to and just pray and ask God for the strength to do what he's calling you to do. Let's respond to his glory. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.